It wasn't exactly a James Bond film. You know what I mean. A spy film where men dressed in dark clothes and sunglasses chase other similar individuals and shoot at them with silencer-equipped revolvers. There's high-speed chases in late-model sports cars, and the good guy may get away only because he manages to leap the gap in an opening drawbridge, and that just in the nick of time. It's a great story, but reality doesn't usually happen in quite that exciting a way. Even when the stakes are desperately high, just as at the start of the Cold War. I'm James Dykstra, and this is History.ICU. The hero of our story, Igor Gruzenko, was born in January 1919 near Dimitrov, about 100 kilometers northwest of Moscow, capital of the Soviet Union. He studied at the Moscow Architectural Institute, where he met his wife, Svetlana. At the start of the Second World War, Gruzenko joined the military, training for a year to be a cipher clerk and in 1945, he was posted to the Soviet embassy in Ottawa. The Guzenkos liked Ottawa with the freedoms it had, such as a free press, free speech, and free elections. Not the least among the things they liked was being able to have a small apartment entirely to themselves, without the need to share it with other families. This was a luxury that they would never have in the Soviet Union, and they were not eager to give it up. With the war drawing to a close, Guzenko learned that he was to be sent back to the Soviet Union, enamored with life in Canada and loving that apartment, and afraid he was being sent back to the Soviet Union for punishment, Guzenko decided to defect. On the evening of Friday, September 6, 1945, Igor Guzenko left the Soviet embassy with 109 top-secret documents that had passed his desk due to his role as a cipher agent. The documents proved that the Soviets had been spying on Canada, the United States, and Great Britain during the war, all the while seeking their friendship as an ally. Guzenko tried to take his explosive documents to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, but the officer on duty didn't believe his story. He went next to the Ottawa Journal, only to find the night editor wasn't interested in his story. Finally, Guzenko ended up at the Department of Justice, the hub of Canada's legal system, and discovered it was closed for the weekend. The security guard kindly suggested he come back Monday. Defecting in 1945 Ottawa was a difficult thing to do. Meanwhile, the Soviet secret police, the NKVD, had learned about the missing documents, and it was actively seeking Guzenko. At home in his apartment, a knock on the door led to a chauffeur from the embassy calling out to Guzenko. He guessed correctly that he was being sought by the Soviets and went to his neighbor's apartment by clambering from one balcony to the other, taking his family with him. Leaving his infinite son there with his neighbor, he went across the hall with his wife to stay in another neighbor's apartment. The first neighbor biked to the Ottawa City Police, no late model sport cars in this spy game, and an officer was sent over to watch the building. About midnight, four Soviet agents entered the Guzenko family suite as Svetlana Guzenko watched through the keyhole from the apartment across the hallway. When our hero finally got the attention of the police officer on guard duty, he'd gone off to get some lunch. He went up to the apartment to see what was going on. Well, the four Soviet agents were doing exactly what all secret agents do, hiding behind the furniture. Uncertain what to do with four misbehaving Soviets with diplomatic immunity, the officer took their names and let them go. The Ottawa police brought in the federal police, the RCMP, 
and they were waiting there in the apartment when the chauffeur returned about four in the morning. He was released too. In the morning, the RCMP and authorities from the United States and Britain started to sort out Guzenko's story. It took months of behind-the-scenes wrangling to figure out what to do with Guzenko and his documents. The Prime Minister, William Lyon Mackenzie King, was not eager for the fallout that would result from the revelations that our sometime ally, the Soviet Union, had been spying on us all along. Yet Mackenzie King's hand was forced by his aide, Norman Robertson, and an American talk show host who revealed that Canada had a Soviet spy in custody. It prevented Mackenzie King from doing what he really wanted to do, which was to send Guzenko back where he came from. In time, the RCMP launched raids to arrest suspects, and a number were convicted and sent to prison, including a Canadian Member of Parliament, the only communist ever elected in Canada. As the investigation went on in Canada, the U.S., and Great Britain, more intrigue and skullduggery would be uncovered. The Soviets had been stealing nuclear secrets from the American Manhattan Project, and this would lead to them testing an atomic bomb in 1949. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg would be executed by the Americans for spying for the Soviets. Close to 50 years of tension between the United States and the Soviets would be kick-started by the defection of Igor Guzenko. Guzenko would live out his life under the alias of George Brown. He seemed to want the spotlight, yet feared danger. Guzenko even made occasional appearances on TV game shows with a bag on his head. He still feared assassination by the NKVD and felt it necessary to hide his new, presumably altered appearance so that they couldn't hunt him. Though it wasn't exactly a James Bond film, it was closer to a comedy of errors, the defection of an unknown and unimportant cipher clerk one Friday evening in 1945 would trigger 50 years of spying and espionage between the world's two superpowers. And after it all, you really have to wonder, if he had gotten a bigger apartment in the Soviet Union, would Kuzenko have defected? wonder, if he could have had a bigger apartment in the Soviet Union, would Guzenko have defected at all?